Amen. What a blessing. Sure appreciate uh, that song and sure appreciate all of our uh, folks from Heartland Baptist Bible College. I'm grateful for the work that's being done there each and every week and just grateful to have a small part in investing in them. Well, if you saw in the announcement sheet that Brother Andrew Albert was scheduled to preach uh, tonight, that was not a mistake. Um, he wasn't quite ready to preach tonight, so I told him I'd step in and preach uh, this evening. And so, no, really, he uh, doesn't have a voice, and so um, he's battling with some stuff at home. And so, anyway, um, <laughs> pray for his voice, if you would, and uh, God will give him strength there. So he'll preach Sunday night, God willing. Of course, Brother Ted will preach uh, Sunday morning, so... All right, if you'd stand with me to the 34th Psalm tonight, the 34th Psalm. Sure glad to be in God's house tonight. Sure thankful for what we get to enjoy week after week after week. Never, never, never let it get old. All right, let's begin in verse number one of the 34th Psalm here. Now, you'll notice uh, most, uh, most Bibles would have maybe a introduction there that would say a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Abimelech would be the title of Achish, uh, be kind of like the Pharaoh uh, in Egypt. So the title Abimelech, this was Achish that he's referring to who drove him away. This would be in reference to 1 Samuel chapter number 21. And so David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. In other words, they were not disappointed as a result of that. Verse six, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing, he says. Verse number 11, come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So by God's grace tonight, I want to preach a message entitled this, seeing without your eyes. Seeing without your eyes. Taste and you will see. And then a subtitle, of course, in honor of our pastor. <laughs> the folly of attempting to follow God while forsaking his goodness. The folly, the folly of attempting to follow God while forgetting or forsaking 
his goodness. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, thank you so much for what we've enjoyed already. Thank you, God, for the time uh, that we have in your word tonight. I pray, God, that you would anoint it and bless it because it's your word. And these are your people. I'm simply your servant. And God, we know that you want to speak and you have something to say. And so, Father, I pray that we would give good attention. I pray, oh, Father, that we would understand even in a greater way the love and the goodness of our God the greatness of our God, and then make application even to our life. Because it'll certainly change the way that we think about God. It'll change the way that we approach life. It'll certainly change the way that we look at others around us. And so God, we once again ask for your help, for your blessing. In fact, really God, it's not that you would help me, it's that God, that you would speak, and Lord, I'm just the mouthpiece. I just want to be obedient, oh God, to what you have to say, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Do we not say things like, well, just see for yourself, or don't knock it until you try it? I have an aversion to salad and to meatloaf. And I hear this all the time. People say, well, have you tried it? Well, yes, that's why I don't like it. Uh, well, you haven't tried mine. I, I don't have to try yours. I've tried many, many times and I really, I just don't like it. Uh, We say other things like, you won't know, and you don't know what you're missing until you've tried it. A few weeks ago, I was challenging our Fishers of Men group. We meet every Saturday at 945. We have a real good group of people that go out and go door knocking, and so we have a short challenge, and then we go out. And, and so I had worked into the message or to the challenge there that, that my wife uh, makes the most wonderful chocolate chip cookies that I've ever had. In fact, every Friday night, that's, that's a ritual. That's what we do. We, regardless, almost without fail, we have chocolate chip cookies. And I said, made the statement that these are the best that I've ever had. I've had a lot of chocolate chip cookies, but these are the best. No one else cookie compares to my wife's cookies. I'd rather have them than any other cookie. In fact, all other cookies are judged by her cookies. And all others have fallen short of the glory of Shelley's cookies. <laughs> but honestly, nothing else satisfies and nothing else uh, compares to her cookie. Well, at the end of the time before we would go out, Brother Kerry Holmes, Brother Kerry's a great help in the class and in the group and been very faithful. And, and you know, Brother Kerry's just a mild mannered and very quiet, unassuming fellow. And he comes up to me afterwards and he goes, Brother David, I, I don't believe you. I don't believe it at all. And in fact, he said this, he said, why don't you prove it? <laughs> and I said, well, maybe we can work that out and maybe we can do that. And so it had already been on my heart and my mind to be an encouragement to the class. And so I went home and asked my wife, I said, would you be willing to make some cookies in a couple of weeks uh, for the group? And so 
She did so, made them hot right here at the church, brought them in. We had some milk provided, and, and, uh, and of course, everybody's eyes were lightened. It was like, it was like Jonathan partaking of the, the honey there, and he just, it, their faces lit, and they, uh, it was just amazing. It was wonderful. But the point being that, obviously, there are things that we don't know until we do what? Until we try it. Um... Being around little children, of course, we've got three grandchildren right now, and, and, and for a child to know about something, what do they do? They instantly put it in their what? They find a cherry-o on the floor or something that looks like a cherry-o, and they pick it up and they put it in their mouth, and, and that's how they discover this world around them. That's how they learn to relate to the world around them. We've had many people over to our home and oftentimes we'll uh, make the chocolate chip cookies and, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. Enjoy the fellowship, enjoy just sitting around and, and obviously drinking coffee and having a nice warm chocolate chip cookie, you know, the, the kind that just kind of oozes out of your mouth, you know, when you bite it and then just the chocolate just, I mean, it, it's wonderful. And uh, we have Hartland students over and, you know, maybe their mom and dad made hockey pucks and they weren't accustomed to a, what a real cookie is. Don't do that. Don't make hockey pucks for your child. That's, that's not right. It's not right. And so some obviously try cookies and, and maybe, maybe they don't want to admit that it's good or maybe they don't like it or I don't know what the case is. But regardless, they're, they're living in willful disobedience. <clears throat> David found himself in such a place. No, he didn't come over and try our cookies, but he found himself in such a spot. This, this particular psalm obviously is penned as a result of David in just a, a, a short amount of time where David had killed Goliath and in Gath of, in the Valley of Elah. David uh, was a man that... Uh, nobody would uh, assume that he would be the one that would be victorious over Goliath. Goliath was a, he was a nasty man. He was an evil man. And he came and, and struck fear into the, into the Israelites and to their armies and, and obviously to their king. And he did this for 40 days. And so David arrives on the scene and, and is moved by God to slay this giant of a man. He's a shepherd. He didn't have training to kill such a man. He didn't have any kind of experience in this particular realm other than killing uh, other animals. But David obviously was victorious over Goliath. And it spelled trouble for David. Trouble began brewing with Saul against David. David was adored and lauded while Saul was kind of left in the dust. You, know, you understand what I mean by that? Uh, everybody was singing the praises of David. And Saul, no doubt, was convicted of his courage and in that here was this young man that exhibited great courage and Saul had, had literally done nothing but shy away from this battle. Jealousy began to rise in Saul's heart for David. Envy was boiling as the people began to sing, well, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. It traveled so far that even the people of Gath knew the song. They, they rehearsed it even before when David came to Gath. 
And so in rage, Saul eyed David daily like a young lion that was ready to pounce on David and begin to take him and make him spoil before him. Twice, Saul had thrown a javelin at David and trying to take his life. Saul sought to embroil David with the Philistines, uh, perhaps uh, thinking that there would be certain death for David. He even used his own daughter to try to ensnare David by giving her to be his wife. Saul hated the friendship that Jonathan, his son, had with David. And then to add salt to the wound, uh, Saul tried to pit Jonathan against David. Said, he's trying to take the throne away from you. This is, this is rightfully yours, he was saying to Jonathan, and David's trying to take it away from you. And so David was a hunted man on the run, obviously. He knew that Goliath was bad. He knew that the Philistines were bad. He recognized that Saul was bad. And when all around him was bad... He did what most would do, and he made some poor decisions. Now, now, let's not get too hard on David, because remember, David's just a young man. It wasn't like he was the, at this point in his life, he, he hadn't gone through a lot of uh, spiritual um, uh, trials and tribulations. So David was very young at this time, and so David basically comes to his own defense there in 1 Samuel chapter 21. You don't have to turn there. And David goes to Nob, and he goes to meet Ahimelech, the priest. He basically tells him four lies and, and, and cons the priest to give him the, the showbread, tells him that uh, I have men with me and, and they need this. And so obviously the priest gave him that and, and David deceives him. David deceives and says that King Saul had bidden him to a great business and needed something even of greater importance and so asked for the sword of Goliath that was there. David makes up his, his scheme and his plot. He deceitfully provided nourishment for himself, used a carnal weapon, uh, the weapon of Goliath, to find security and somehow to find some solace or safety with it. And now, for fear of Saul, he seeks asylum in the king of Gath, Achish, the Philistine lord. Now, no doubt the Philistines wanted to get their hands on David. They wanted to turn his life upside down. And so David hatched this plot to feign himself to be mad, to be a crazy lunatic. You can find this in, in verse number 13 of 1 Samuel 21. Now, now, think about this. You say, well, why didn't they just do him in right there? Well, you know, when we play Texas, we want Texas to be undefeated because we want to beat them and say we were the ones that stopped them. Same thing with OSU. We don't, we don't want to take somebody that's one and, and whatever and beat them. That, that's no, there's no glory in that. And so they looked at this man that was mad. They looked at this man that was scrabbling and, and uh, feigning himself. And, 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 they, and basically Achish said to the people, this man is mad. Wherefore have you brought this man unto me? Send him away. And so David flees and goes back to Israel, finds himself in the cave of Adullam. And it's here that David's brethren and his family come in unto him. 
everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented. It's college night. These had to be Bible college students here. And, and, and it's interesting here that the Bible says that he became captain over them. About 400 men that David begins to have influence over. And somebody says, well, man, I, I just don't get it. I, David had just lied to the priest and wrongfully partook of the showbread that was this holy bread that was there in the temple there. And he takes Goliath's sword. He, he cons the priest into all this. And then he pretends to be what he was not and, and uh, pursued business that he did not have any business being in. He tricked the Philistines. He ran in fear. And he employed worldly methods to try to achieve a spiritual victory. In fact, when we come to our text here, we, when we read verse number one, in fact, that was the very first thing that came to my mind. I, I read verse number one and I said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And I said, wait, oh, wait a minute, David. Uh, I, I don't think so. No, you haven't been blessing the Lord at all times. And his praise has not been in your mouth. And you have not been boasting about your Lord and about your Savior. You, you have not been uh, glad in the, in the presence of God in your life. And, and, I, and I say to myself, this isn't right. What's David saying here? You've been on the run and you've, you've cowardly slipped off to Gath and you've attempted to live life your own way. It's, it's almost like David had tried to live his life without God. What happened? I mean, how, how, did, how did the psalmist pen these words here? How, how is this possible? I mean, we know what he just did. We know where this psalm is couched in. We know the, the events that led up to this psalm. And uh, you've got a man that lied and connived and, and cowardly goes to another place. And then you find him saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will be up upon my mouth. What happened? Well, he didn't learn this from Saul. Saul was not teaching him these things. He certainly didn't get this from Achish. Achish ran him out of there. And he didn't arrive at this from his own sinful heart. So what changed? What prompted to pick up his harp and, and begin to convert this, co this cave into a cathedral? They say, those that have studied it out, they say that this cave was monstrous and would certainly hold more than 400 people. And, and so it's like David turns this, this cave into this cathedral and begins to praise God. He goes from plotting and conniving to praising. What caused him to be so resolute in his rendering praise to the Almighty? What caused him to praise God rather than to prank men? How did he go from trickery to teaching others? the very words that we've just read. Well, he tasted. Somebody says, well, yeah, but that was just showbread that he took from the temple. There's nothing, there's nothing sacred. About, no, no, no. It wasn't that he tasted the bread. Look, look with me in verse number eight. The Bible says that David records this psalm and he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay, now look up here for just a second. 
When David went to Gath, he was not thinking God is good. When David uh, went to uh, Abimelech there, listen, he wasn't thinking that God was good. When David tried to deceive and when he lied and when he plotted and when he connived, nothing on his mind was, was this. that he, he wasn't saying, well, God's good and I can trust him and I can depend upon him. But now we find him saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. His eyes are opened. His understanding is opened. His heart is uh, being filled with the praises of God and it pours forth from his mouth. And once David experienced or tasted what God was, he couldn't contain himself. And David lifts up his heart in gratitude towards God. It's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, you read this psalm, and I've read it over and over and over, and I've rehearsed it in my mind, and, and, and David just cannot help but to rehearse the goodness of God over and over. Amen. And it's like David... Um, has these men before him, these men that are distressed and these men that are in debt and these men that are discontented. In fact, we, we would say it this way. These are men just like David. They were of the same, of the same kind of, of problem. They were, listen, they were oppressed by the same king, King Saul, and they were dealing with the same struggles that David dealt with. And, and listen, they come to him and David becomes a captain unto them. And, 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 it's, and it's almost like this. It's almost like David uh, says to them and calms them down there in the cave. And he says, I know what I've been. You know, maybe one of them's pointing the finger at David and says, David, didn't, didn't I hear that you went down to Gath? And didn't I hear that you, you made yourself out to be a madman and a lunatic? Yeah, that, that was me. And yes, I did those things. But this is how I will govern my life from henceforth. Are you, are you catching this? David comes to these men and and acknowledges what he had done and acknowledged his own way was unsuccessful. He acknowledged that all that he had done was not right, but, but he makes this, this declaration here in this psalm and he says, I'm going to govern my life this way from henceforth. And so he resolved to praise the Lord no matter what. In fact, in verses one through three, we see that he's going to praise the Lord no matter what comes his way. In verses four through six, he's, he's remembering and he's rehearsing God's ways Verses 7 through 10, he realized God's power and provision and, and God's protection. And so in doing so, David knew that he was a man that was blessed of God. And he turns his song into a sermon. It's almost like his devotion turns into doctrine here. And so he begins to do this, passionately plea that others would do the same thing. In, in verse number eight, he, he says, oh, taste and see. In other words, can't, can't you feel, can't you feel the, the passion that David has? It's, it's almost like David is, is coming before the men and he's saying, if you will but just taste, if you will just but experience God, if you will just, if you will just take the time to stop and to realize God is good and God is right and he's always good and he always has been good. And listen to me, I know that I've messed up and I know that I've made mistakes, but I've learned from that and I understand this, God is good. Amen. And David knew that if God had been good to him through his failures and through forsaking God, then certainly he could do that for others. 
If God had been true to David, then he could be true to these men. If God had been good to him, he could be good to these men. If God had been faithful to him, then he would be faithful to these men. And so this renegade, David, found refuge in God. The restless man had found rest in God. The rebel had found righteousness in God. And David went from believing that God was good to knowing God was good. Did you catch that? David went from acknowledging that God was good, believing to knowing by experience that God was good. It's one thing to watch your dad drive a pickup truck. It's quite another thing for you to get in the pickup truck and you drive. Because you're looking at your dad saying, I can do that. I can shift those gears. I can, I can put it in four-wheel drive. I can do this. I can do that. I can get out of this thing. And then you get, jump in there and, and behold, what do you know? You didn't know any of that stuff. You thought you knew. But experience obviously begets an understanding that you didn't have before. And David realizes God is infinitely good. It wasn't like, no, no, it wasn't like David began to understand this. Well, now God is good to me. You know, when he left, when he left Gath and he goes to the cave of Adullam, it wasn't like something came over him and he realized, well, God wasn't good, but now he is good. No, God was infinitely good. God was good way before David was born. God was, God was good to him under Saul. God was good to him when he was called to be the next king of Israel. God was good to him in his failures. God was good to him every single moment of his life. God hasn't got to be good. He is good and he always will be good. And he's independently good. He didn't need David to be good. It wasn't like God was waiting for David to arrive on the scene and say, well, when this man comes on the scene, Israel will be great because of David. No, no, no. Israel was great. And when they were great, they were great because of a great God, not because of a great king. He's independently good. He's absolutely good. There is no one like him. There is none as good as he is. God is unchangeably good. He doesn't grow in his, in his goodness. No, he's unchangeably good. He's universally good. He was good to Saul and he was good to David. He was good to Achish and he was good to the people of Israel. And he's eternally good. And so David calls others to see that God is good. He says words like this in verse number three. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. In verse number five, he said, he showed that, that God was good to others and that they were encouraged, they were enlightened by the good things that God had done. In verse number seven, he showed that God protects and God shields his saints and them that fear him. Verse number nine, he says, oh, fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Verse 10, for, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing, he says. And then we come down to verse number 11 and, and David says this, come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, some, some would argue that David was talking to his family members there. Regardless, 
David is saying this, almost like uh, Solomon would say, almost like John would say in the book of John and in 1 John, that, that he's speaking to men, but he's telling them as children. He's, he's saying, those of you that have not learned yet, those of you that are in need of understanding, having need of more knowledge about God. He, and so he says, come, ye children, hearken unto me, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And he exclaims that God is worthy of perpetual praise. He's deserving of corporate exaltation. God hears those that call upon him. He delivers the, the fearful to safety. He, he, he disappoints none that look to him. He delivers the destitute. He providentially protects his own. He gives refuge to those that trust in him. He provides abundantly. Listen, God is good and only can be good. And he teaches them. Because you see, those that taste of God's goodness tell of God's goodness. How did Carrie Holmes find out that my wife makes the best chocolate chip cookies in the world? Because I told him. But not just that I told him, what did he do? He tasted and I watched him. He put it in his mouth and he goes, mm-hmm, yes. And he said, give me two more of these. Let my wife try them. And then his wife called and said, I want the recipe. No, listen to me. Those that have tasted of God's goodness, trust God. And those that trust God, what do they do? They tell others and they help others to trust God. They do the very same thing. We that have learned from God, we are, we are on this mission, this, this journey to do what? To tell others that God is great. I mean, faith does us no good if it's not personal. The plate of my wife's cookies does me no good if I don't partake of them. And listen to me, once you've tasted of God's goodness, nothing else will satisfy. Once you've tasted of the goodness of God, you must come back over and over and over and over again. I, I told you earlier, we have them every Friday night. I don't get tired of them. I don't get bored with them. I don't ask my wife, well, why don't you try something else? No, I love them. And listen to me, when we taste of the goodness of God and the greatness of God, it's so special and it's like, oh, that's so good. And you read the morsels of God's word and you take it in and you're like, oh my goodness. And you hear a choir sing like that tonight and you hear special music and it's like, God is so good to let us enjoy these things. Amen. Yeah, but you come to church every Sunday, yes, and you come to church every Sunday night, yes. And you come to church Wednesday, and then you have a missions conference. Then you have vacation Bible school, and you have all these things. Aren't you tasting of enough of God? No, we want more. We need more. And David had this platform. Listen, I, this is the platform that God gave him. He didn't have a kingdom yet. It wasn't like David was the king yet and he realized, oh, I better do right. No, he's, he's in a mess. He gets things figured out and then he takes men that are just like him and he says, I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna help you. Don't make the same mistakes that I made. Because we're all to be tasting God and teaching others. Somebody may be thinking, well, how do I taste God and see? It's a good question. Brother David, you're talking about tasting God. I mean, what are you talking about there? 
what's this tasting God and what is this seeing God? That God's not physically present and you can't physically touch God. He's not tangible in front of you. What do do you mean that I taste God and see? Well, I, I think the same way that you taste food, by faith. You look at it and you're like, okay, I I believe, but I receive, I appropriate it, I make it a part of my life, and I'm like, that's good. And I'm concerned that there are believers that know about God, but do not know God. Is it possible? Is it possible that even, even here at Southwest Baptist Church and, and just like Calvin said, that we hear and message after message after message and we know about God, but we don't really know God to the point where we're just like David and we go out and, and we know what's right and we go out and we make decisions on our own as if God is not present, as if God is not at work in my life, as if God is not protecting me, as if, as if God is not providing for my needs. And so we take matters into our own hands and we're, we're just like David and we're going here and we're going there and we're doing this and we're doing that all the while we know. And we've heard that God is good. Is it possible that maybe the last time that we really tasted of God's goodness was at salvation? You got saved and you're like, this is wonderful. This is great. I'm so glad to be saved. I'm so glad to have my eternity secure. I'm so glad that I'm not on my way to hell. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm I'm so thankful that God did this for me. This poor man cried and he heard me. Because if we're going to tell anybody else about how something is good, we have to taste it for ourselves. I love coffee and I, folks will come and say, well, what, what kind of coffee do you like? Well, just go out and have whatever. No, you know what I do? I say, buy this coffee, use this method and use this many times, whatever. And I give them instruction after instruction after instruction. But I think sometimes it may be that maybe a new convert comes up to us here at church and they say, uh, what about this passage? What's God saying here? What does this mean to me? How does this relate to my life? How does this relate to my family? And we're like, oh, whatever. We know God, but we don't really know him. We've not really tasted God and seen Aren't you glad we get to come every Sunday and pastor has tasted of God in that office over there and he's heard from God and he's pleaded with God and he's, and he's been on his face before God and in the word of God and he's prayed for you and he's prayed for you. You've heard him say this. He's prayed for you by name and we show up and, and he's, tasted, uh, he's tasted from God and he's seen and then we hear the word of God preached and we get that every week. Aren't you glad that we run buses and, and those that are, are on the bus right now, you know, what the, you know what's happened? They've tasted God and they've seen God and they're going out and they're saying, you need to know my God. You need to experience my God. Come and, and see what God has done. Oh my goodness, the, the Bible is replete with examples like that. The woman at the well, what did she say? What did she, she said, come see a man. What did Andrew do? He went and first find his brother. 
Why do we have a missions conference? Because missionaries that are on the field have tasted of God and they've seen the goodness of God and they've watched the mercy of God and they've watched the protection of God and they know him, listen, experientially. And you know what they do? They come to a church like this and they say, we want you to know God like we know God. We want you to experience this. We want you to see this. We want you to know our God this way. Why do we have a vacation Bible school? Why do we invite 100,000 kids from our neighborhood to come? Why? We've tasted God and we want them to see God like we have. Why do we go out and door knock on during the week and on Saturday? Why, Why do we do that? We've tasted of God and we've seen and we realize because we've been blessed of God, because we have tasted of God and saw that he was good. I ain't going to keep it to myself. Because those that taste God and see, tell others. When's the last time you told somebody about your salvation? When's the last time you invited somebody into your home and says, let's have a meal together so I can talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ? When's the last time you talked to your coworker and shared with them how good God is? Because he's good. And we that have tasted of him and that have seen his goodness ought to be telling others everywhere we go. We ought to be teaching in every area of our life, teaching our children, teaching our family, teaching the Sunday school class, teaching those on the bus, teaching those that we work with everywhere that we go. God's good. Where else are they going to learn that God is good? They're not going to learn it from the souls of this world. It's amazing to me. It's ironic. And I'm going to close with this. David said this. Oh, taste. David was saying, David was basically saying this. You don't have to have the whole plate of cookies. Just taste. Just taste. Stick it in your mouth. Let it roll around and you think and you process and you're like, this is good. You know why? Because we couldn't even comprehend all the goodness of God. We couldn't comprehend all the greatness of God. God's just asking us, just do this. Just taste and see. God is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Would you bow with me this evening? We'll have a time of invitation. Brother Aaron's going to come and lead us in a song tonight. I have to wonder tonight, if we're not telling, then we must not be tasting. If we're not telling others about God's goodness, then we must not be tasting of his goodness throughout the week. And so, Father, tonight, as we bow before you and we give thanks, we thank you, first of all, that you're good, that you're always good, you're infinitely good, you can only but be good. We thank you, Father, that you're not only good, but you are good to us personally. Every one of us as individuals, God has been good to. God, it would do us well even tonight just to come to an altar and just to thank you for being good. To praise your name, to magnify you, to exalt you, as David said, 
Come, let us worship and exalt our Savior. And Father, there may be some even right here tonight that have never tasted of God at salvation. This is not the primary application of this text, but there may be some that have never truly tasted of God in salvation and they need to come and to hear and to know. God, would you deal with hearts as only you can and as only you know how. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.